The New Patriot Manifesto is not just a rehashing of 20 million different books you've probably read before about why liberty matters. The New Patriot Manifesto is exactly the title. It's a new manifesto for the next generation of patriots. How should we look at cybersecurity, the surveillance state? Is the gig economy growing? What about self-defense, free speech, things that matter all the time, but they're aimed more towards the next generation of liberty leaders and people that want to take on the challenges of tomorrow. The New Patriot Manifesto comes out November 24th and is written by Eli Bowman. You can go ahead and find it on Facebook to get ready, and you can check out your own copy on Amazon. That's The New Patriot Manifesto by Eli Bowman. This is Live Free and Grow, a podcast from the Remzo Republic with your host, Jason Carrier. Jason Carrier. And our guest today is going to be A.A. Ron Jennings, or Aaron Jennings, for those of you who are Keen Peele fans. Hey, Aaron, how are you? I am doing fantastic. How are you doing? I'm feeling good. Let's go ahead and talk some bees, because you know, I'm a beekeeper. I know, obviously, you're, you you run a commercial apiary, but to me, I think bees are one of the, you know, the coolest things that you can do on a homestead and to become self-sufficient. You know, they give you Definitely. honey, beeswax, and mead. Now, me takes yep. a little bit of lead-up lead up time, but, you know, I think the payout's worth it. With that, why don't you go yeah. ahead and tell us a little about yourself. Well, and, and kind of on that note, too, I was talking with a guy today, uh, and he was talking about trying to set up, like, a just-in-case scenario, and he was asking me how important bees could be. And uh, so we talked about honey, we talked about beeswax, uh, but propolis is, is one of those products of the hives that a lot of people don't talk about but has so many, so many uses. And especially if you're in a homesteading situation, you can use it for, uh, it's really, particularly it's good for a lot of oral health, uh, but it's a natural antiviral, antifungal, antimicrobial. So it's a really, really cool stuff. And you can make it, uh, you can make an extract with just like alcohol. So you can get Everclear or some strong alcohol and you can just soak it in there and strain it out. And that extract will have all those beneficial uh, parts of the propolis so you know it's um, it's it's funny is i've been keeping bees for a few years now and i didn't didn't know anything about propolis and my office mate it, was, it was asking me for some honey because he, go, he goes i want the propolis it's good for like my lips and stuff and he said the stuff you get in the store they they take it out and sure as hell i went on amazon and i saw you can buy propolis ac- extract for 50 you bucks. can yeah yeah it's it's pretty pricey stuff you know bees don't it, it's not like honey or beeswax that they make in, in abundance, usually they usually, you know, they use it to seal off uh, holes or, uh, you know, if they have something that's too big for them to move, like a mouse, they will mummify it in propolis. And so it's just there. It's an external immune system. And so it has so, so many benefits. And uh, it's definitely one of those things that as a beekeeper, you know, I, I probably it's probably the product that I um that I personally like the most just because of its uniqueness. Cool. How'd you get, how'd you get into bees? 
so I was in the Air Force. Uh, I got out of the Air Force in uh, 2005 and uh, became a massage therapist, you know. Uh, so I was an air traffic controller in the Air Force, and it was super stressful. So I got out. I moved to Florida and uh, was thinking, okay, what's something I can do that won't be as stressful as air traffic? And uh, massage therapy seemed pretty not stressful. So I, I did that for about 10 years. And uh, while I was doing that, I got really aware of what I was putting on people's skin, the ingredients in it. And I started doing some research to make my own lotions. And uh, I came across most of the recipes called for beeswax. And then I fell into the, you know, the Google black hole. And I was just <laughs> I looking mean, up everything. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so I was just looking up everything about each ingredient uh, that I was looking at using for my lotions. And when I got to beeswax, I found out that a lot of people use a lot of uh, chemicals in their beekeeping operation. And that did not seem like a good idea to me uh, and kind of defeated the purpose. So I couldn't find any beekeepers that did not treat in my area. And, and so I decided I'd buy one beehive. At the time, I was living in an RV on my uncle's property with no electricity or running water. Were you living in a van down by the river? <laughs> I was. Unfortunately, we didn't have a river. That was the only like bummer about that. But we were staying out there. We were growing a lot of produce and then trying to sell it at farmer's markets and see how, see how that went. And um, so I got the one beehive thinking that would be it. But the first time I opened up a beehive – it, I totally fell in love, and I instantly started thinking, how can I shift from massage to full-time beekeeping? And so that's that's what I've been doing the past uh, – I've been doing full-time beekeeping for two years now, and I've been keeping bees for seven. That's awesome. So, so I mean, this, yeah. this is this is your livelihood now, right? It, it is, yeah. It's the it's the full deal. So we, uh, we're in Whole Foods. We're in a regional grocery store. Uh, we're in several independent – uh, small businesses in the area. Uh, we sell on Amazon, so out there hustling. <laughs> yeah. hey, that's, hey, that's American dream, man. It's uh, entrepreneurship, it being your own boss, and doing something you love. Yep. Aaron, you know, you, you tell us how you got there. You tell me how which where you're at your in your journey. What are some of the hurdles that you ran into? Oh man, uh, I think you know the further you get down the down the journey, the more reliant you get on your own business, um, the more hurdles that you end up coming in, you know, against, uh, obviously from a beekeeping standpoint, there's, there's this huge, like, uh, division in the beekeeping world between people who treat and use chemicals and people who don't. And of course the people who do treat, they say that all the people who don't treat are causing all the problems. And the people who don't treat say all the people that treat are causing all the problems. Um, it's so, because I'm of the belief of you know I don't treat my bees. I mean, I, I put some DE yeah. on to keep the beetles and stuff out, and I yep. you know and I, I set some ant traps to keep the ants out. But yeah, I, I don't treat my bees. But I, the idea is I want to grow hardier, healthier bees. Exactly, and and so that's been like my mission from the beginning. But when you first get into beekeeping, I don't know if you experienced this, but in my area, most beekeepers are retired or older. You know, so mm -hmm. they're um, and and a lot of them they they all they all treated and they basically said like if you if you don't keep bees in a, a Langstroth or like the typical beehive if you don't keep them in that all your bees are going to die if you don't treat them all your bees are going to die if you don't do this all your bees are going to die and uh, so I, I ran into a lot of resistance in the front end just because I refused to to 
to treat with anything. And so, of course, people will tell you like, well, you know, you'd vaccinate your kids, wouldn't you? Which uh, I don't know if I would, but, you know, so with uh, with the bees and everything, uh, people will say that it's neglectful. But, you know, I, I teach a beekeeping class and I tell people I have three principles that I always go to in my beekeeping. Number one, bees know how to be bees. They don't need me, you know, telling them what I read in a book about them on how to do things. Uh, number two, the way I look at my role is more of a bee steward than a beekeeper. And so I'm just trying to provide the best environment possible for my bees and work with their natural instincts so that we can both achieve something. And so that, that's really how I look at it. And then the third thing is long-term versus short-term. And I always give more weight to the long-term. And so, you know, bees that cannot survive without treatments, not the bees that I want. So every year, you know, some of the bees don't make it. And the way that I look at that is, is that nature did me a favor and removed weak genetics. And every year I have less and less and less losses. So in the beginning, I was losing 80%. You know, I was buying commercial stock and my first two seasons, one, I was a new beekeeper. And then two, all these bees were coming from where they had been medicated and coddled to my situation where I was not coddling. That's for sure. And so, uh, so so are are you selling your own, your own starter hives now? Uh, yeah, I I did that the past two years. I actually, I'm, I'm not going to do it next year. I won't say that I won't ever do it again, but um, because I rely so – so like this year in particular has been really, really bad for honey production in my area. Uh, and I would say that's probably 200-mile radius around me. Uh, all the beekeepers I've been talking to, it's, it's one of the worst year. It's the worst year I've seen, and it's one of the worst years that beekeepers who have really been at it for a couple of decades have seen. And so um, this year I ended up selling more hives than I really should have because I thought that I would be able to make it up. Yeah. And so it, it kind of put me in a bind because now we have agreements and we have contracts with like grocery stores. So we're having to make sure that we can meet that demand, um, you know, year long. A lot of people don't realize that honey is a seasonal crop. You know, we, we have a, here where I'm at, we have like a six to eight week, which is a very generous honey flow. But um, you got that window, and that that's when you make your honey. And that's going to last me. You know, we'll have some honey in the fall. But for the most part, the bulk of it here we make in the summer and the late spring. And that's got to last me until next April. Okay. And so... So I ended up I ended up selling more bees than I could afford to sell just because of how the year worked out, and so I, I think next year I won't be selling bees. But I, I've definitely done that, and I teach classes. I, I like doing that, um, if nothing else, to kind of put uh, an alternative way of keeping bees out for people, you know, like, instead yeah, of just I, like what you would find. Yeah, no, I like what you're doing. I bought my first two hives from a, uh, a commercial vendor, and you know, I lost them last year. And it, it's an emotional thing when you're a new beekeeper, yeah. and, and you know. Yep. Now I say I, I, one hive straight up just died, and the other yeah. ones, yeah. the other ones swarmed, and they're living in my woods somewhere. So, but I, and I don't mind, and, you know. But um, some of my beekeeper friends are like you should track them down, and I was like, you know, I didn't get into beekeeping for you know as a as a commercial business. Yeah, I'll, I'll right. sell a couple of jars yep. of honey. I got into it because, you know, it's one, it's just cool. 
right? It's fascinating. I, when I, when I, you know, you start reading the books about how the queen bee comes out and kills all the other females and whatnot, and in my mind, I have this, I like a mix between drunk history and, you know, <laughs> David Asselrod with Nicki Minaj running around like, where are my ladies at? And stabbing them. Right, right. <laughs> so, so, I mean, it's just fascinating how the whole situation works. Um, so, yeah, you know, buying more hardy bees or having more hardy bees on the market, I think, is a really good idea. Yeah. It definitely is. And, and I may get into that again. Um, I went, I don't know if you know who Sam Comfort is. Um, I do not. I, so I keep, I keep bees in a top bar hive exclusively. And so, uh, Sam Comfort, he's kind of big in the top bar hive, uh, world of beekeeping. And I went and spent, uh, we, me and my wife went and spent a week with him in South Florida and he does queen rearing. And, uh, so, you know, he's, he's pulling like 200 queens a week or so. Wow. Um, yeah, yeah. And, and in South Florida, you know, he starts the end of January and he rolls, you know, quite a while. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, so they're, you know, they've got it systematized, they've got it rolling and it's, uh, that to me. So I ordered like 12 Queens from him just to kind of mix in his genetics with mine. And that's something I could see me doing on a smaller scale. It, it, it's a pretty full-time production to, to run that many Queens. No, oh, I imagine so. So I said, this is a libertarian homesteading uh, podcast, and you know, are are you a libertarian? I, actually, I am. I, I'm. Uh, I guess you would say I'm a little L libertarian, but yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, uh, don't worry, no one here is going to call you a status. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. That's good. That's good. I, you know, I'm the internet man. It's people brutal. on the internet. They'll call you all kinds of stuff. Yeah, so I, I can take it. Uh, so, like I said, I was in the Air Force. Uh, I, I was like straight neocon, hard, hard right. Um, when September 11th happened, I was a senior in high school. And so I graduated and three days later, I was at base training, um, ready to go. You know, uh, while I was in the military, it actually, my whole thought about the government changed, you know, being a part of the government definitely uh, helped it change yeah, when and you're on the I inside, you see how messed it. up it really is. Yeah, you know, like one one example I can that I always, you know, think of is um, they had me ordering supplies, and I had to order like two trash cans and a mop, and they gave me this catalog and said, "This is where you got to order it from." And the trash cans, like seriously, the trash cans you would go to Walmart and buy for three dollars, they were ninety nine dollars. Yep. And I was like, man, why don't you just give me the card? I'll go to Walmart and buy all this stuff. We'll save a ton of money. And they were like, no, no, we can do that because if we don't spend all the money that they give us, it won't give it to us again. And that whole like approach and idea. Yeah. Yeah. And the wastefulness of it, just the, uh, you know, the uh, lack of um, respect for where that dollar is coming from, you know, just like, Oh, it's just, yeah, it's just magic money. I mean, we'll, we got all the money. Yep. Just spend it, and they'll give it to you. Yeah, I was in the range for so, two years, and every year, every year oh, we had nice. to burn. Yeah, we had to burn through a bunch of ammo so that we would get our ammo again next year. Yes. And then if yeah. the bar- you know, if one of the sniper rifles barrel had only, you know, six hundred rounds left on it, we had to you know use it up so we get new barrels and then the next physical budget. It's ridiculous. So I mean. Yeah. I don't think the American public understands how much money, and not just the military, because I, you know, I, 
I worked uh, when I left the Marine Corps. I worked as a contractor and then as a government employee, and I and, and I ended up my last government job was at DHS, and then I realized that seventeen trillion dollars and zero terrorists caught. This is a waste of money. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I went back to the private sector, but it um, the it's like that across the board. There, you know, one hundred and forty agencies are all trying to justify their existence to spend all as much yep. money as they can. And, and I think that's part of the reason that, you know, the welfare state's grown so much is because the traditional role of a social worker was to get people off welfare and to fend for themselves. And now it's to keep people on welfare and ensure that their budget and their promotions are coming through. Right. Right. So, so it's, yeah. you know, I joke and say, you and know, I, I, one second, yeah, I joke and said, well, we, need a, we need a government program of self-sufficiency. Then I realized the homesteading movement is that program people are starting to take care oh, of totally. themselves and their neighbors go ahead man yep well well and i was just gonna say you know i got totally apathetic while i was in the military and i got out and i was just like man this place is the government's it's it's done and it's screwed you know like there's no coming back from this and um and then in 2007 during the republican primaries ron paul was talking and he talked I to your up, heart didn't he <laughs> he did, man. I, I tell you, it, it totally. Whenever he explained blowback, it totally just like blew my mind. I was like, no, no wonder. Like that totally makes sense. You know why? The more we interfere, the more enemies we create. And the, the difference between isolationism, which that that man, I get so mad when people tell me I'm an isolationist. And non-interventionism, and the the differences between those are huge. And just having to argue with usually left-leaning uh, socialist, oh, you know, you. about that kind of thing. Yeah. You know what's funny but, uh, is I thought for sure when Donald Trump got elected, we would see the rise of the the the, the left anti-war protester. I don't think they care anymore. They realize the war is a way to grow the state, and they just don't care. They just want to grow the state. Yeah, and it's 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 kind it, of terrifying that they you know they 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 pulled that mask off and said this is what we're going to do. Yeah, honestly, man, the the left to me, all they do is oppose the right. So it, it seems to me, and and you know, I guess you could say that for the right as well. But it seems, and and I definitely have my problems with like far red, you know people uh but man the left seems harder to deal with you know they're they're more emotional they're less rational and it seems like donald trump could go up there and he could say uh something great something that they want i don't know and they would still disagree just because they want to disagree yeah no it's it, it, it it's a tough thing it's and you know and and I, I fell in this trap, too. You know, I my very first vote was in 1992, and I voted for Ross Perot. You know, uh-huh. and, and then I got into that us versus them, ended up voting for Bush, and then McCain just turned my stomach. So I was yeah. like, I can't vote for this guy, but I couldn't vote for Barack Obama because he wanted to take my stuff. So, you yep. know, that, and, that, and that's really where I had my, all right, I am done with this two-party system because it's not who's going to do best for the country. It is us versus them and and i think they count on that right they they want to generate the the hate to get out the vote 
like my my youngest daughter is a pretty libertarian mind. You know, she understands you know victimless crimes aren't crimes. She she's not quite on the taxation as theft, but she'll get there. But she she yeah. hated Donald she hated Donald Trump so much that she voted for Hillary. And my oldest daughter hated Hillary so much that she voted for Donald Trump. And they're, they're like, what the hell are you guys doing? You're you're falling into the yeah. trap. So yeah, I, and and you know I don't think that Johnson was the the best choice for the libertarian party. (laughs) Um, you know, but I voted for him. I still got my Johnson weld sticker on the back of my truck, you know, like, uh, cause I, I, I just could not vote. I was totally surprised that Donald Trump won. I mean, I would, I would have put money on Hillary winning that. I think everybody would. I wouldn't have even questioned it. Yeah. But, um, let me ask you one question. Um, when you vote, cause I, you know, when I voted for Johnson, I went to bed at nine o'clock and slept like a baby because <laughs> I did my part. You know, in past elections, I've stayed up and I was like, you know what? I don't have a dog in this fight. I'm going to bed. So yeah. Yeah. Was it similar to your experience or? Uh, you know, for me, I, I like watching the spectacle of it. So yeah. I got you. It, it's almost like, you know, the World Cup or something. And I, I just like to. So I did stay up and watch, especially whenever it started looking like Donald Trump was like coming back. I mean, you know, you have states that you just know are going to be blue and you knew those were going to go for Hillary. So it was like, yay, New York, everybody knew it. (laughs) But man, whenever, whenever the, whenever the numbers really started to flip and the, to me, the most entertaining part of that was the newscasters. They totally were caught off guard and it's live and you can just see in their face that they're just like, uh, uh, wait, wait, this isn't, this isn't how we planned this. This is not, you know, we, we got it right in 2008. We got it right in 2012. Like, yeah. so for me, uh, I stayed up just to watch the, just to watch the show, okay. no, <laughs> but I didn't, that. I didn't, yeah, I didn't care either way. You know, to me, they both have, uh, I guess, I guess if I had to pick one, I would pick Trump. Um, yeah, but even it. then it's still like, nah. yeah, yeah, no, it's someone asked me, you know, about that, and I was like, "Look, I'm not saying Hillary Clinton's a serial killer. I'm just saying she's serial killer adjacent." <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. So yeah, no, I, I get what you're saying, she, man. If, it, uh, you know, yeah, it, it, if it she's not, to, she knows some. Yeah, it comes down to the devil that you that you know, and you know. Yeah. So I, I get that. So how does a person get into beekeeping? I mean, I know how I did it, but I, oh. I like to, you know, mm-hmm. you were always making this a commercial practice and a business. If you got a young libertarian mm-hmm. out there, he's like, "Screw this! I'm tired of working for somebody else. I want to make my own money and you know grow my own honey." How do they get started? Uh, I, okay. So I would say um, before you decide to make it a living, you definitely want to get some bees first. Um, it is not for everybody, um, but I would say it, it depends on what you, you got to decide. What do you want the bees to do for you? What do you want them to accomplish for you? Do you want bees because you're trying to save the bees? If you want bees to save the bees, then just don't kill bees in trees. Just leave them and let them do their thing. You know, if you want them to pollinate your garden, that's great. And you can get a pretty simple setup for that. If you're wanting to get the most honey possible and the most wax possible, then you're going to have to start really um, working on technique and methods and management and that's going to take years because, you know, it's a seasonal thing. So the spring happens, you learn a lot, but you don't get to apply it until next spring. Um, 
But I would say, you know, first buy local bees, try to find a treatment-free beekeeper, and don't be afraid to screw it up. You know, the the first few hives I had, they did not make it. Um, That was totally my fault. But that process, I learned so much through that process um, that it, it, it ended up my next year was way better. And so I would say if you're going to start, you know, you can start cheap and you could do like top bar hives. Um, they're simple to build, especially if you're like homesteading. I would think that was prob- that'd probably be like a better way to go. Um, Langstroth hives, they have their benefits, uh, including, you know, you can get more honey and wax per hive um, on average. And then everything's uh, standardized. So if you talk to Joe Smith, and he has bees, probably he has them in those boxes. And so you can buy bees from him or you can sell bees to him or you can buy just the baby bees. Um, so that interchangeability helps. But, um, yeah, it's, it's a very deep rabbit hole. But I would say don't let that scare you. You know, just kind of start with two hives. That way you have one that you can kind of judge the other one against. So if you have one hive that's doing really, really well, then you know that the other hive, that there's something not right about it. If they're both doing about the same, then, you know, it it just gives you a reference point, which is really important when you first start keeping bees because you don't really know what you're looking for. Yeah, no, that's really good advice. So what do you think of the flow hive? Uh, You know, I, I... I'm all about like entrepreneurs. So those guys had an awesome idea. They got a patent on it. They have done more monetarily than they ever thought. Um, I know a couple of guys that had spent some time with them said they're super, super nice guys for my operation. It's not the direction I'm going, you know, uh, everything in my life is about simplifying. Like how simple can we make this? And that's our products. That's our lifestyle. You know, we live in a tiny house. Um, and by tiny, I mean 200 square feet. So it's, it's fairly small. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, my wife gardens and grows a lot of stuff. Um, so we, we try to keep things really simple. And the Flow Hive has a lot of moving parts. It's a lot of plastic, and it's, it's very expensive. Yeah. There was a 19th century beekeeper, Moses Quimby. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's called the father of commercial beekeeping. And he said, I'm paraphrasing, he said that you can never make money keeping bees if you're constantly putting money into keeping bees. Yeah. And he said that in reference talking about uh, all these like patent hives that were coming out in the mid-1800s that were expensive versus the very simple boxes that he was building for very, very cheap. Um, so I kind of like that model of so, uh, simple hives, simple equipment, simple setup. We go for quality over quantity, and, you know, we charge a premium price for that, and that's how we make it up, you know. Good. No, I, I appreciate that. No, I, I like things you can do yourself. It's funny because I was so yep. impressed with the Flow Hive. I actually backed them on Kickstarter, and I bought one, and I nice. could not nice. believe how expensive it was. I was, you know, And yeah. the fact that they've made, I think, what, $10 million, I was like, you know, I got you have a patent. You have a brilliant idea. But at some yeah. point in time, let's meet in the middle, guys, because <laughs> it yeah. will be the only yeah. flow hive I've ever ever buy. The rest are going to be well, Langstrom. And, and they're they've they've been trying to they've been trying to get their uh, production costs down. Um, 
you know, again, like they only asked for seventy thousand dollars, you know, for on Kickstarter. They ended up doing like twelve million. Yeah. And so the demand was much stronger than they anticipated. So they had to. I think I think that they their initial runs were probably pretty expensive, just because they had no idea how to make that more efficient, how to negotiate better contracts. Um, well, they probably so, didn't think that you know that many people were going to be into keeping bees. But you know, it's it's, yeah. it's funny is uh, I live obviously I live on a farm, but they, you know. I'm I'm really big into the urban beekeeping movement. Well, I work in Arlington uh-huh. and and I see bees that I know someone must be keeping them as I as you know hitting the plants up as I go, and I don't think a lot of people understand that they can keep bees on a an apartment balcony. Oh yeah, well you know I was talking about Sam Comfort earlier when we went to his house. He lives uh, close to Fort Lauderdale, uh, on the like right close to the beach, and so there's property there's houses and condos and all that kind of stuff everywhere. He's got about 30 beehives on his, like, porch, you know. So people ask me, like, how much space do I need to keep a beehive? I don't know. I tell them, you know, if it's a Langstroth, it's like, what, about 20 inches by, I don't know, 15 inches or something, you know, because the bees will go out. They go out. They go find their food. They come home. Um, So you just need the space for the hive, and that's it. Yeah, no, it's it's yeah. It doesn't take a lot of room. Doesn't take a lot of work either. I mean, a lot of people, you know. No. I I find my hive does best when I don't and when I you know, I don't mess with it. You know, bees know how yep. to be bees. So they and, do, and it, and I I have definitely found that too. That the less I mess with them, the better they tend to do. Kind of so. like the American citizen. No. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So now. Um, it's funny is when everybody comes out, it's like, how many times have you been stung? And I've been stung twice in two and a half years. You know, the bees, as, oh, long wow. as, you, as long as you're not moving, you know, you're not moving fast, you move slow. Uh, yeah, everything seems to work pretty well. Yeah. I, I, think, I try I, to tell people, you know, bees are not aggressive. You know, they are defensive, but they don't tend to be aggressive. Yeah, and the last time I got stung, I was a little pissed off because I was actually trying to feed them. And I was like, you know, I was like, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, it's been raining a lot. It's not, you know, it's not been a good honey flow. Let me go ahead and give them some, some syrup. And then one of them got me, and I was like, you bastard. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So yeah, no, it's a, yeah, it's it's a pretty easy habit. So where can our listeners reach you? What are your dot coms? Uh, uh, Jennings Apiaries. That's J E N N I N G S, A P I A R I E S dot com. Uh, you can find us on Facebook, same name, Instagram, same name. I try to keep it simple. So uh, email is JenningsApiaries at gmail. Um, you can find us on Amazon if you just search Jennings Apiaries. Uh, and what yeah. about your podcast? Are you still podcasting? Uh, I need to I need to figure out. So I need to figure out what, what I want to accomplish with it. You know, um, the first – I did 10 episodes – and I'm, tr- I'm trying to figure out where does that fit in with other beekeeping podcasts, with my time, especially this time of year. I don't have a lot of free time to do podcasting. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, you can look it up. It's uh, Bees and Such on iTunes. There's only 10 episodes, very crudely produced. Um, but uh, feel free to give me feedback on that. So I've had a few people that have reached out to me just from that. Well, that's how I found you. And, um, and then I, then I went on, you know, checked out your website and I said, Oh wow, you're selling these, you know, you have your products that you're making from your honey. You're doing but And 
And it's it's funny is you know, before we started the interview, uh, you asked you know, that I know if you're a libertarian, and I will tell you, I find very few non-libertarians in the homestead self-sufficiency prepper yeah. movement. So and, yeah, and, and most of them are, are are little L's or minarchists, you know, and they're very nice people. They want to help out, and uh, they just they really just want to produce, sell, and be. You know, they want to live free, and so mm-hmm. if, I don't know what you want to do with the podcast, but. Yeah, you know, I'm trying to do this homesteading podcast to to grow 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 the liberty movement, and you know what? I'm sure there's room for a beekeeping podcast to grow the liberty movement because I'm sure you have a lot of, you know, crunchy hippies that are beekeepers that are probably tired of the government just messing with them. Yeah, yeah, I would guess so. And there's there's definitely that that's a good idea. That'd be like a good way to. I wanted it to be. If I'm going to do it, I want it to actually provide some kind of unique value. So that would be a good like spin on it. Cool. All righty, man. Hey, appreciate your time. Thanks. Yeah, thank you. Well, there you have it, folks. That wraps up our interview with Aaron Jennings of Jennings Apiaries. Before this interview, I had no idea if Aaron was actually a libertarian or not. But when you hear his story, you know that this is a man who craves freedom, who's fought for it, and has decided to come home and build a business to live as free as possible. I'm Jason Carrier. Until next time, live free and grow. Stay up to date with the latest news and updates by visiting RemzoRepublic.com.